Atonement, we welcome Reverend Leon Brown to our church. Reverend Brown is planting Montage Church, ARP, in southern Los Angeles. Reverend Brown and his wife, Rosalinda, have been married for nearly 13 years. They're the proud parents of three children, Genesis, Lincoln, and Charlie. He's a new church planter with the ARP, but he is a veteran church planter. Reverend Brown planted Crown and Joy Presbyterian Church down in Richmond, Virginia with the PCA. With this vision in mind, to be a multi-ethnic, cross-generational, God-glorifying congregation in South Richmond. Leon received a bachelor's in communication studies from the University of San Diego in 2008, an MDiv from Westminster Seminary, California, an MA in historical theology from Westminster in California, a BA in honors in Hebrew from the University of the Free State, and he's presently pursuing his PhD in Hebrew. Leon loves spending time with his family, listening to sermons and theological lectures, hiking, traveling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so don't mess with him, and judo. (laughs) Uh, He served also in the Navy for 10 years. Reverend Brown and his wife, Rosalinda, are natives of Southern California, and they had a desire to plant another church back in their home state. The Brown family relocated back to Southern California last fall, and they're faithfully trusting Christ to build his church through montage there. The name of the church is reflected well in an informational video, and I took two quotes from that, and I I do want to read those for you. A photo montage is a collection of beautiful, unique, and different images that when placed side by side and viewed from a distance, appears as one complete portrait. From the beginning of the Bible until the end, God calls his church, united in Jesus Christ, to be a montage, a church containing people from various cultural and ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds, as well as those with special needs. We praise God for raising up Reverend Brown for the work of church planting in Los Angeles, and we pray for montage and for Reverend Brown and his family the following, that the Holy Spirit would bring many to faith through this ministry, that the Lord would build a montage of a church in Los Angeles, one that reflects the ethnic, cultural, and intellectual demographics of the city. And that Leon would lead and love his family well during this new season in their lives. Atonement, let us pray for and support this endeavor through the grace and mercy of our God. And I want to pray for our brother as he brings us the holy word. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have indeed raised up another man for the work of preparing your church of giving out the gospel so that those who dwell and live in darkness can hear and see the light of Christ. We pray for our brother this morning, Holy Spirit, speak afresh through him to us that we might be different people for the glory of God through Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We welcome you to the pulpit. Good morning, church. It's a privilege to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Uh, I am thankful that your pastors and your elders allowed me to be here with you this morning, all the way from Los Angeles, where the weather is much nicer than here. Uh, but I am thankful that I will be leaving this evening to go back to that 70-degree weather. Uh, I'm also thankful to be going back home to my wife. Uh, we do have three children, but our fourth is due any day now. And so uh, I need to make sure I'm home for that. Otherwise, uh, I might not ever come back here. So uh, pray for me and pray for our uh, little one in the womb. It is a girl, and her name is Liberty. 
And so there was a debate between my wife and I whether we would name her Freedom or Liberty. My wife won, hence Liberty. So uh, please be praying for things to go smoothly there. Well, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, I invite you to open in your Bibles to John chapter 8. In your bulletin, the Scripture reading is on page 3, but in your pew Bible, it is on page 894. John chapter 8, we will be considering together this morning verses 38 through 47. John chapter 8, verses 38 through 47. Before we hear from our God through the reading and the preaching of his most excellent word, let us go to him yet again in prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious God and most majestic heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. We thank you, O God, that you have been kind to give us your word, a word that is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would speak, for your servants are listening. And we pray all of these things through Christ Jesus, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And all God's people said, and amen. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 38. This is the word of the risen Lord. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Beloved, this is the word of the risen Christ. Thanks be to God. Uh, Growing up, one of the things I recall my mother doing was watching talk shows. It was through her love of talk shows I began to become acquainted with people like Oprah Winfrey. It was through her love of talk shows I even began to watch, and perhaps you're more familiar with the former than this talk show host, but Jerry Springer. Now, if you've seen that show, and by some of your reactions, it's clear that some of you have seen that show. It's really just 30 to 45 minutes of chaos. I don't recommend watching it. But one of the themes that was recurring in his talk show was an important topic. 
it was the topic of fatherhood. And the way he would address this topic of fatherhood still had to have elements of drama. I mean, that's why at one point more people watched Springer than Oprah Winfrey. So as he was trying to address this very important topic, one of the things he would do is bring out a very young couple and set them down center stage. And he would begin peppering them with a series of questions. It would begin with with small talk. How are you? How long have you been dating? What do you love about your relationship? And then he would begin to dig a bit deeper until at one point he would ask the woman, how long have you been pregnant? Now, it was obvious she was pregnant, and that's one of the reasons Springer would have them on the show. And so she would reply, well, five or six months. And then he would direct, that is Springer, his gaze at the man, and he would ask him this question, who's the father? And the screen would then go black. Credits would roll. And if you're anything like me, if you were to see something like that, you would kind of sit on the edge of your seat kind of wondering, well, well, who is the father? And sometime later, some three or four years later, Springer would have that same couple on his talk show. They would be escorted out to the center of the platform again, asked to take a seat. He would start with those introductory questions. How have you been? How's the relationship? And then a new character was introduced into the show, a three- or four-year-old boy. And he would walk out, and he would sit next to the man. And now Springer, instead of addressing the same question to the man, are you sure you're the father, he would then look at the boy and ask that three- or four-year-old boy, who's your daddy? Springer had suspected that there was some infidelity in that relationship. So that was supposed to heighten the drama in his talk show. But despite that talk show being as chaotic as it was, that is still a very important question with which we need to wrestle. Who's your daddy? And if the answer is not an answer that you would expect, it can begin to unearth your identity. That is the question that is placed before us here in John chapter 8. Who's your daddy? But the answer Jesus is seeking is not one that should be narrowly classified in biological categories. Verse 38. I'm sure you've heard the statement, like father, like son, Portraits aren't the only way you can determine who someone's father is. You can look at someone's words or hear their words. You can look at someone's works, and you can begin to discern based on that person's character, based on that person's words, based on that person's works, who the father is. Jesus said, I have seen the father, and as a result of seeing the father and being in his presence, I speak and I do the very things that I do. And of course, the Jews didn't like what he had to say, and so they began engaging him. And interestingly, their response is not quite the response that they should have said. You see, they missed it. 
That's what's been happening in this entire gospel thus far. When Jesus begins speaking to the crowds or when Jesus begins speaking to individuals and and he's talking at a certain level, it's not that they take him at face value. They just don't realize that Jesus' words has both a horizontal component and a vertical component. So they missed it. Think, for example, in John chapter 4. And Jesus purposed to walk into Samaria, and he meets this woman at the well. And he says, give me a drink. And she responds by saying, how is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. It wasn't just about what a bucket can be let down into a well and brought water back up. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He was saying ultimately to her, if you want your thirst satisfied, if you want to to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, if you want your soul and your body to be saved, you need this living water. And that living water is me. Or how about in John chapter 3, when Jesus engaged one of the spiritual religious leaders, a well-known man, Nicodemus. And as Jesus is speaking to him, he says, hey, you must be born from above. You must be born again. And Nicodemus responds by saying, how can a man go back into his mother's womb a second time and be born? You see, whether Jesus was talking to the woman at the well or Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, again, his words have both a horizontal and vertical component. It's the same thing here. When Jesus is addressing the Jews and he is engaging the topic of fatherhood, he does not desire that they merely talk about biology. It's not about their their family lineage. It's not about their heritage. It's not about going to uh, uh, Ancestry.com and figuring out who you're related to. But that's how they respond. They say, Abraham is our father. That was never in dispute. Go back and read verse 37. Jesus already acknowledged that Abraham was their father. But they were so concerned about demonstrating the superiority of their biological heritage. That's the place that they go. Of course, Jesus has something to say about that, and they're not going to like what he has to say. You know, it was about uh, six years ago or so, I met my father for the first time. I mean, that's not technically true. I mean, he left, according to his story, my mother and me when I was four. So I kind of remember him, but I don't really remember him. So about six years ago, after the birth of our first child, I saw him face to face for the first time. And my wife tells me how close I was sitting to him. And I I told her afterward, I said, I don't ever remember seeing this man. I, I wanted to kind of be up close and personal. And uh, one of the things I remember about him is when I would ask difficult questions, he would respond before he answered the question by asking me a question. And he would say, are you sure you want the answer? I said, of course I want the answer. And I remember after asking one of those difficult questions, he took me on a journey with this story. He said one of his close friends was murdered. And not too long after that event took place, there were some 30 people standing outside of his house. And so as my father, Leon, we have the same name. Terrific name, isn't it? 
after my father Leon uh, begins addressing these folks, they respond to him, all 30 of them, in one accord, in essence, by saying, what are we going to do? And my father responds, this might be PG-13 rated, children, well, do you have your gun? They say, yes, we have our guns. And he said, well, I know where the murderer is. And my father then escorted these 30 men right down the center of the street to this bar where this guy was who killed his friend. And as they were marching down the street, my father's uncle enters the equation, finds out what my father is going to do, and he says, you're not going there. My father said, no, yes, I am going there. He said, no, you're not. You know, I, I sometimes wonder if it's perhaps because of that event where my father's uncle stepped in that I was able to meet my father today. But I also wonder if there are certain character traits that are passed down from the father to the children. And see, my, my father was a very angry man, and I, and I see that, that in myself. We have to deal with that understanding of things. Are there certain traits that are passed down generationally? And clearly here, we have some instance where this isn't merely a biological account, but a spiritual one, because Jesus responds after these Jews said, Abraham is my father. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But instead, you seek to kill me. The works that Abraham did, he he sought a city whose builder and maker was God. He was sent on a journey trusting in God. Yes, he struggled like we all do, but he trusted the Lord. He he wasn't out to to kill the very God who was feeding him. He wasn't out to to kill the very God who was leading him. It's I hear the voice of my mother who says, don't bite the hand that feeds you. That was not Abraham in many accounts. But it was these Jews, because not only were they not doing, according to Jesus, the works that Abraham did, believing God, but they wanted to kill the one who was sent by God. You know, the interaction is going to continue here, but I want you to notice what actually isn't said here. They're going to continue debating with Jesus about this idea of fatherhood. They're going to address that question for themselves, who's your daddy? And yet what they never say is that, Jesus, you're wrong. We don't want to kill you. Do you notice they never respond to that accusation? Because they know that much. They know that that was one of their desires, to kill the Lord. Which is why he then goes on to say, why would you even kill someone who is speaking truth? Why would you decide to to, to say the things that you say earlier? They said, well, you have a demon. All of these accusations being catapulted at Jesus when all he did was tell the crowds the truth. And yet he goes on to talk a little bit about his birth certificate. There's always been debates about where people are from these days, huh? Especially in the White House. Well, Jesus addresses that for himself. He says, I was actually sent by God and I came from God. He is distinguishing himself from all of the other prophets that went before him. Because you will recall, for example, Isaiah chapter 6. You might even recall Exodus chapter 19 when Isaiah and Moses had to ascend to God 
into the glory cloud, into his presence to receive instruction. Jesus did not ascend to God. He came from God. So again, he is distinct from all other prophets before him. And yet he still, in addressing these Jews, has to speak plainly to them. Did you notice that? He says, why don't you even understand what what I'm saying? I speak truth to you. I tell you that I've come from God. I tell you that I've been sent from God. In another place in John's gospel, it says the word of God became flesh, that is Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is that Jesus speaking to the crowds. The conversation does eventually turn vertical after all. I mean, the Jews say, well, we only have one Father, even God, but Jesus knows better than that too. (laughs) That's not their Father either. And if God the Father is not their Father, then who is? We have to answer that question with ourselves too. It's easy to begin thinking about our father and our grandfather and perhaps, uh, depending on our age, looking to the left or the right of us and seeing our daddy. But remember, Jesus' words have both a horizontal and vertical component. He's not seeking to hear them say that Abraham is their father. His concern is much larger. And so now, since the conversation has turned vertical, he's going to address it in a manner that isn't, well, we might say, uh, politically correct. I've never actually tried this in an evangelism encounter. I don't think it would work. But I tell you what, his words are quite striking. We remember striking statements. And not only do I remember my mother watching talk shows and introducing me to Oprah and Jerry Springer, but uh, she would say some things to me that uh, I, to this day, have not forgotten. If I were doing some... uh, terrible things, and I would regularly, unfortunately, Uh, she would say something to me like, boy, I brought you into this world, and I'll take you out. (laughs) You know, I, I, I would start consulting my friends afterward, and I found out their mother said the same thing, and I began to wonder, do mothers read from the same book? I don't know, but... uh, Or if I was being hard-headed, and I unfortunately was regularly... Not now, but then. She would say something like, Son, a hard head makes a soft behind. And I knew that was my entrance into uh, getting spanked, but none of those phrases were as striking as what Jesus says here. He's looking at these people who are of the biological lineage of Abraham. He's looking at the religious elite, and he says to them, you are of your father, the devil. The devil. Satan. The prince of the power of the air. The devil. Satan. Not the little fuzzy, cute little cherubim that you see sitting on your shoulder in in cartoons that whispers into your ear telling you to do the wrong thing. No, the devil, Satan, Uh, not one who is kind of half man, half human who walks around with a pitchfork every day. Satan, 
the one who in the form of a serpent met the man and the woman in the garden, Satan, the one who wants to convince you that the one thing that you do not want to do in life is follow Jesus, Satan. One that I think doesn't get much attention in our reform circles today. Uh, perhaps we've swung the pendulum too hard. We don't want to be like those people, whoever those people are. But Jesus finds this one to be a very important character because he can ruin your life. Going back to Los Angeles to plant this church has been an eye-opener on many fronts. And, and one of the things that it has done is it exposed sin in my own heart because I like shiny things. I like big things. I like shiny things. And so that means big houses and nice cars. And uh, the problem with that is a lot of folks in L.A. like those things. And that can be very deceptive. It can cause you to put all of your attention on the thing itself or to use different language, the gift instead of the giver. James chapter 1, right? All good and perfect gifts come from above the Father of lights. But we can get so caught up in Los Angeles with the, the Hollywood celebrity mentality. We can get so caught up in L.A. about having the, the multi-million dollar house. We can get so caught up in L.A. about how we have now acquired LeBron James. Everything is about what's big and shiny and who has the most money. But you know what I find out that is unfortunate? is it's not limited to people in L.A. We too can, wherever we are from, get manipulated by the thing. And what's very interesting about that is that could be Satan knocking right at your door, distracting you from following the Christ. You see, like these Jews, we have to answer the question to who's your daddy? And we only have two options, believe it or not. Just two. Jesus made it easy. <laughs> it's either God as your father or Satan. So which one is it? You see, just like Jesus said, not only has he seen the father, but his words and his works demonstrate that he is from the father. We have that same litmus test. We can look at our words. We can look at our works. We can look at the things that we think and begin to gauge whether or not our father is God or whether or not our father is the devil. But today, you have to leave this place certain which one it is. You don't want to leave like these Jews confused, thinking it's one when it's really the other. Jesus says to them, you are of your father, the devil. And he was a murderer from the beginning. He was a liar from the beginning, and there is no truth residing within him. The, the largest gap, you know, uh, Pastor Terrence said uh, earlier that, uh, and he was right in saying this, our first church plant was intentional and being multi-ethnic and cross-cultural and multi-generational. The same thing is true in Los Angeles. We tend to live very segregated lives. It's just birds of a feather, right, flock together. And while there are so many differences that we can highlight in these conversations of race and, and or ethnicity or the socioeconomic chasm or the cultural gaps, the, the largest chasm that exists is seen right here in John chapter 8 between Jesus and Satan. 
There is no larger gap than that. And there is no more important question that you can ask yourself than this one that is posited here in John chapter 8. Because it is quite tragic to think that at some point, maybe back then or even presently, that you are following the father of lies. That you are still under the rule of the prince of the power of the air. But it can be quite joyful to think that, no, that was a life back then. I am now following my Father who is God because of the Christ. You know, it's pretty ironic that these folks want to kill Jesus. I mean, he even asked the question, which one of you convicts me of sin? Silence. And so if you can't convict me of sin, why then don't you believe my words? Well, I know, verse 47, why you don't believe my words. You cannot hear them because you are not of God, dead in your trespasses and sins. So now these Jews should should truly be wrestling with the words of Christ and, and whether or not maybe there is an ounce of truth in his words, but again, can't hear them at all. Who's your daddy? Jerry Springer doesn't have the answer. Who's your daddy? Oprah Winfrey doesn't have the answer. Who's your daddy? Again, you only have two options. It's God the Father or it's Satan. And the way we can be clear, uh, it's not simply in examining our own words and our works, because as you know, this this walk is is one that contains hills and valleys. It's one that contains being on the top of the mountain, and next thing you know, you're, you're just a bit lower than you were. So if you focus solely on your own works, you might even leave here confused. But if you begin by focusing on the words and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The one who said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me does not walk in darkness. The one who said, I am the bread of heaven. That one who was God in the flesh, who encased himself in the likeness of sinful flesh, who went to a rugged Roman cross. Get this. The king of heaven and earth came down off his throne. And instead of putting on his head a crown of gold, he put on his head a crown of thorns. And he was hoisted up upon a cross, the very cross in his providence that he allowed people to make. Crucified. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Don't buy the lie that all that Christianity offers you is the forgiveness of sins. We need more than the forgiveness of sins. We need more than something taken away from us. We also need something credited to us. We need the righteousness of Jesus. And you see, after he was put on that cross and he died and he was buried, three days later he got up out that tomb so that you could say what he taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father. 
You see, that's how God becomes your father. It's not through your own works. It's not through your own words. It's through Jesus, the Christ, who was tempted in all ways, yet without sin, and yet was crucified and rose for our justification. That Jesus gives you the permission to call God, who he said was his father, our father. And you are released from being in bondage to sin and death. And you are raised to the newness of life. Beloved, this is what we all need. Oh, I haven't uh, watched Jerry Springer since I was a kid. have no desire to watch it either. But that theme that he still talks about, or at least I suspect he talks about, uh, still plagues me. Who's your daddy? It's a question that I ask myself regularly. (laughs) And as I plant this church in Los Angeles, by the grace of God, it's a question that I ask those with whom I speak to. Who is your father? It's really a question of, of life or death. And I hope that everyone here before leaving this day can say that our Father, my Father, is God. It's really as simple as this. Jesus made it easy. You repent of sin. You you turn from sin. And you turn to God. And you turn to right action. And you embrace Christ for your life. That he lived the perfect life that you cannot live, that you died the death that he deserved, and that he rose on your behalf. You embrace that, and you can say with the utmost confidence when asked the question, Who's your daddy? You can say, God is my daddy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a loving God, one who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would enable us to know more of what it is to be loved by you. Father, you would help us to to be a people who are a repentant people, turning from sin and trusting in the Christ. Help us, Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit to do that daily, that you might be glorified and that the world would know that we follow the Christ. We pray all of these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, and amen.